way, Jesus, and we want to put the focus on you, God. We give you everything right now, and we want you to have your way in this service, oh Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Praise God. Turn to somebody, shake your hand as you're being seated. Hallelujah. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 26. And we're going to read several scriptures. This is also in your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin. We're going to have to print more bulletins because we're running out. That's a good problem to have. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 says this, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Everybody say heart. Heart. All right, now I'm going to move to John chapter 3 verse 1. This is in your bulletin as well. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Amen. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, He must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, and this scripture ought to move somebody this morning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a a new creature. Amen. Old things are passed away. Yes. Behold, all things are become new. Praise Amen. God. Praise God. We're talking this morning about a new heart. How many know you got to have a new heart yes. when you come to God? Amen. Amen. you got to have a new heart. God has to do some work on it. Amen. When this week we went mid-state into the Mountain View area, Sister Kirsten and I went and we viewed the Blanchard Springs Caverns. Anybody ever seen that? Anybody ever went through the caves at Blanchard? Beautiful sight, isn't it? Uh, it's some of the most beautiful caves in all the world. And there are bigger caves. There are wider caves, but not many near as beautiful as Blanchard Springs. And we went through the caves and I've been several times, she had never been. We camped there uh, on their facilities. And it's amazing how beautiful of a thing 
can be below your feet under mountains that are already beautiful. Now, if you drive through Mountain View, uh, and you try to get there and you're any bit car sick, there are other caves that you can go and see elsewhere. But if you get squeamish on curves and up and down and steep hills, this may not be for you. I left that part out when I told her we were going to see a cave. And I found out about it. Amen. But you get there, and at the heart of this beautiful mountain, as you're passing through the curves, you see openings of just, it seems like you can see all the way across Arkansas. Beautiful. But then you get in that cave, and you think, all this time, I'm looking at all this beauty, and there's something below that's even more beautiful than what I've seen on the surface that's growing. As God begins to change people, and he changes them on the outside, on the inside there's something even more beautiful that's taking place. And it's not just bringing you out of a sinful lifestyle that God can do. He works on the heart of the man. And he changes the man at the core. If that doesn't happen, all it is is a kind of a change in attitude a little bit. Just they've, you, you forced yourself into being kind of different. But when God changes you, he starts at the heart. Yes, he does. And works his way to the outside. Amen. To see change. The heart is one of the most important organs in the whole human body. I've told you this before, but uh, this is kind of gross. But the pressure from the speed of blood that your heart is pumping in your body. If you were direct to direct all of that blood in one stream through all that pressure, the pounds per square inch that's going through your body, you could put that in one stream. You could actually stand at this wall and through all that pressure, that blood would go all the way to that wall. That's how much pressure is flowing through your body right now because of your heart. Now, I don't suggest that you try that. Uh, <clears throat> probably not going to work out too well for you, but nonetheless, the pressure is there. And a person cannot live without the continual pulsing of a heart, pushing blood through your body. When a person begins to have heart problems, there are many procedures, treatment plans that are prescribed to help them, the end of which, the last resort, may be a heart transplant. Now, there are about 2,000 heart transplants annually in the United States. However, there are more than 3,000 patients on waiting lists dependent on the availability of a heart or a surgeon. There's always somebody who needs a heart transplant. And according to the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, 85% of patients receiving a transplant will survive a year or more. Those added to the transplant list must be critically in need of a new heart, but they've also got to be healthy enough to survive the surgery because it's a radical surgery. And research has been done, has been advanced, heart surgery. But the only thing that will assure the length and the quality of life in a person who needs a heart transplant is a good new heart and a good operation to go with it. And it's the same way for those who find their heart's diseased by sin. You gotta have a heart transplant. 
God has to do a surgery on you. And he's got to put in a new heart instilled in your life. In our contemporary thought today, the heart we refer to most sits at the center of our emotions and feelings. You know, we say things like, I love you with my whole heart. We say, we're speaking from the heart. And we say, Lord, I give you my heart. Because it's the center of our being. We talk about the heart. It's coming from the very center of everything that we are. The scripture speaks a lot about the heart. Uh, David's prayer of repentance, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's something good to pray every time you pray. Amen. We get to that part, uh, the washing in the tabernacle plan. That's a good scripture to pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. This man who said that, God said was a man who was after his own heart. The heart of God. And he wrote often to those who were upright in heart. Seems like a lot about David involved the heart. And the psalmist asked the question, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in its holy place? And he responded with his own answer, He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. you got to have a pure heart. This is the process of God working in your life. He's got to change your heart. Now, it talks about, I've just read the scriptures about what God can do with the heart. It also says about a heart that's corrupted quite a bit. The gospel is something in Psalms that's spoken of a lot. In Proverbs as well, and the scripture says the gossip's burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. Jeremiah prophesied against those who walked in the councils and in the imagination of their evil heart. And when you're born, the Bible says, we're born into sin, shapen in iniquity. You need a change in heart at some point. And it's got to be done by God. Our hearts do not become pure by default. You understand that in order for the worm to become the butterfly, there's something in its nature. It's made that way. It's going to do that. It's not the same way with the heart. You've got to come to God and allow Him to work on your heart. There's got to be a change, a transformation take place that's against your nature. Otherwise, you would not do it. It's something you have to come to do. And there's no evolution of behavior where we can become more virtuous or loving or kind throughout life that's going to do the trick. Rather, Jesus taught that the heart was the source of all kinds of evil, and there's got to be a change take place. Something's got to happen. And people have become careless to the fact that there is a terminal illness of the heart that's within them that's got to change. <clears throat> There's a gospel that's preached today that's without repentance. And it's dangerous. That's right. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And that's scripture, folks. Repentance is not out of the process because time is strung on a little bit to a different age. This is the word of God. We've got to repent. And what that means is a 180 degree turn in the other direction. And there's a change of heart that takes place. And only God 
knows the heart in order to do that work. Now I want you to hear this today. Nobody but God can do the work. That's right. You can't do the work. Your friend can't do the work. Amen. Contrary to the belief of some, the pastor can't do the work. I'm sorry. I can't do the work for you. I can tell you the process. I can tell you where you need to go. What you need to do to get started. But there's nobody else that can do it. Now, I've, I've been listening to a, a program. It's a radio program. It's also a podcast that tells about some of the most fascinating occurrences in history. And how it happened. Why it happened. Something interesting that's happened is there was... Uh, a string of patients that visited a, a particular doctor in Dallas and they went because they needed serious surgery and he was professed among all the medical community in the Texas area that this was the surgeon for any serious job whatever you need he's done amazing work flawless record this was the advertisement and so these people who had serious pain, naturally they wanted the best choice. They went to this man and his name was Dr. Dunch. And this, this Dr. Dunch was quickly began, they, they began to investigate him because they, through this string of patients, several of them, the moment they got out of surgery had instant complications. And they went in and other surgeons began to look at what was going on and they began to understand this man was either incompetent, he was an imposter that was working as a surgeon, or something had happened in his mind that had changed since he got his medical degree and everything, because he would go in and the nurses just kind of stood there and he's the doctor, you know, they, they, he knows what he's doing. And he would cut things in wrong places and he would, detach limbs and put screws in places where it wasn't needed, cut appendages that were never supposed to be touched in the first place, and he became known, the name in the Dallas area became known as was Dr. Death. There were two people that died, over 60 people that were affected by his work, and the shocking, most shocking fact of it all was they discovered in the investigation that he did it purposefully. It was all purposeful. He was, I guess what you'd call a bad serial surgeon that was doing all this out of his own power knowingly. And he's going to be in jail for the rest of his life. But people went into a man expecting him to do the work and he didn't have the ability. The estimate is that in order to be a surgeon, you have to have, at the very least, a thousand operations that you've done alongside another one. This man did just north of a hundred. He didn't have the experience. Now, when you need a heart transplant, when you need God to change your heart, Buddha doesn't know how the heart works. That's right. Allah doesn't know how to change your heart. There's not a club that you can join that's going to have the power to do that. As a matter of fact, going anywhere else to have your heart worked on would be like going to Dr. Death because you'll come out with false hope. Right. 
They've not done anything to change you. There's nothing in this world that's going to do the work but Jesus himself. Amen. Anything else is simply going to hold you back. Only God knows the heart. And the Lord is aware of our thoughts and our intentions, what is in our heart. Self-improvement, positive thinking, healthy eating, all these things are never going to repair damage in the vital organ of the heart that's in us. The only hope is to receive a new heart from God. It began in the Garden of Eden. There was sin that went out into the world with a simple act of disobedience. And through Adam, all shared, shared the guilt and consequence of sin. But we can't just blame Adam as some people want to do. The Bible says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Every man. Every man is responsible for their own sin and got to come to God and have that change of heart. It's nobody's fault but our own, folks. Amen. And we've got to bring ourselves, our own heart to God and let Him do the work. And the progression of sin, the Bible says, can only lead to death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And in the midst of all of this situation where humanity is left in sin, there became an emerging shining star of hope that God gave us in Jesus Christ in redemption. Yes. Your heart don't have to stay that way. Amen. It can change. God can change your whole life, your outlook, everything about you. Sin and the curse were not the only things that began in the garden. The promise of redemption and God's gifts the scripture that said the wages of sin is death goes on to say, but the gift of God yes. is eternal life through Jesus Christ, yes. Amen. our Lord. Amen. So we can't stop just that part of the scripture. Well, the wages of sin is death. That don't offer hope to anybody. You read the whole scripture. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Yes. Amen. And that's, that's his goal for us. The scripture we read in our text, the focus verse, Ezekiel was called to declare God's word on an obstinate and rebellious people. They were exiled into Babylon. We've, we've talked about this a bit already. But God was foreshadowing salvation in what he spoke through Ezekiel. The word of the Lord had come to him. He said, and I will give them a heart to know me. This is Jeremiah chapter 24 and verse 7, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Amen. The whole heart is what God desires, not just a slice of the pie. It's an insult to God to, after he's created everything you've got and given it all to you, turn around and say, okay, Lord, here's this slice of my life. I dedicate that to you. Now, how, how do you think God receives that? He wants everything. He's a selfish God, but being selfish is okay when all creation is yours anyway. It's not a sin. He just wants us to serve Him. Amen. And so He wants our whole heart to be invested in Him. Ezekiel prophesied in the midst of a valley of dry bones. And if, if this story of Scripture doesn't stir our hearts somehow, maybe we need to read through it again. He was instructed to prophesy to the bones and then to prophesy to the wind and finally to the people of Israel. 
And when the people had turned and said, our bones are dry, this is what the people said, and our hope is lost, he responded with a word from the Lord. I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel and I shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that the Lord hath spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. God's desire for Israel was that they might have a new heart but not just a new heart, that they would be full of His Spirit. This is what He's foreshadowing, okay? I feel this very, very strongly in my spirit as I, as I was studying for this lesson, and I've felt it for a while now. God wishes to fill and overflow every dry place that might be left in your life. Yes. Amen. He doesn't want there to be a stone that is unturned and doesn't have the flow of the Holy Ghost rushing over it. Amen. And if you find yourself in a dry place today, let me tell you this. You need to let God open up your grave and cause you to come up and rise out of that grave like dry bones and let the air of the Holy Ghost fill your lungs. Amen. And let Him put the skin and the sinew on you and raise you to life out of that dryness. Y'all not leave this house today feeling dry in your spirit. Amen. Y'all not leave this house feeling sorrow because God is here to fill you up today. Amen. And He don't change. What He wants for your spirit today is for you to be wedded by the Holy Ghost in every inch of your life. He wants your home to be wedded by the Holy Ghost. He wants your mind to be wedded by the Holy Ghost. Your heart, He wants to fill that up too. There's no part of your life that ought to be dry today because the Holy Ghost can fill that up. Amen. This is not a day for dormant Holy Ghost. Amen. You hear me? This isn't a day for dormant Holy Ghost. If there ever was, it ain't today. Amen. Because you can let the Holy Ghost reside in you to a point. It's like water sitting somewhere outside or in your house. It can grow stagnant. And after a while, if it's not used or something done with it, it'll grow old. Come on, somebody. That's not the will of God for you. He places the Holy Ghost in you for a purpose. Now, now here's this. It is the will of God that you be full of the Holy Ghost and that you continue to get full. It ain't a one-time event, folks. It's not a thing where we, on the day we're saved, we punch our ticket into heaven and we stuff it in our wallet and we go on about our life. Well, that's the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. But you have an opportunity to get full every time you can in the presence of God. Yes. Well, I thank God for that. Amen. It wasn't a one-time thing. There's an unlimited supply of His Spirit that is open to me. Amen. And so, don't let it get stagnant, folks. We don't want our Holy Ghost to become stagnant within us. We want to be active. We want to be active, praise God. His purpose was to bring these people into a relationship 
with him. And it was by a change of their heart. Now, you say, well, God's purpose was to bring these people to a relationship with him when they were in Babylon. Well, that's, well, that's a great method to do that. You know, There's times when you're going to go through things that the purpose of God is to bring you low that he might raise you up. Now, somebody needs to hear that today. You don't understand why it's happening, why it has to happen this way. But in order to lift you up, God's got to bring you low at some point. This was, if this wasn't the, the, just the story of the life of Joseph, then I don't know what. Okay, I'm going to lift you up. Now I'm going to put you in a pit. Now I'm going to lift you up. Now I'm going to put you in jail. But hang on a minute. Then I'm going to lift you up higher than you've been yet. Amen. Low points. You don't see ahead. You don't know where God's taking you. But rest assured today, it's all for the purpose that he was given these people to bring them into a greater relationship with him. Amen. That's the whole purpose of the high and low points. Amen. And that's what he did with these people in Babylon. John declared Jesus to be the word. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. His spirit was what he was foreshadowing. The reason that those caves that we went to see this week are created is because at some point, whether by an earthquake or whatever it is, there's a crack that opens up at the top of this mountain somewhere where the cave started. And water began to flow through that crack through rain. And it carried limestone that's acidic. And it began to eat out the inside of that mountain. And over time, it just grows out and forms the cave that we see today, as beautiful as it is. Acidic rain passing through the heart of the mountain, changing and forming the rock that's underneath. The continual change that God wishes to perform in us is only going to happen by every layer of the Holy Ghost and Spirit that comes over us. So I feel the Spirit right there. Amen. Amen. Progression to being like Him. Progression to being, it said old things are passed away, all things have become new is by layer by layer of the Holy Ghost. And I don't want to miss a point that's afforded to me in the presence of God to receive that rain and let it flow into every area. You look in that cave, there's not an area that's not wet. It's all wet. Everything around you. And it creates the sheen and the beauty of it that's taking place in the heart. It's by the flowing of the Spirit that God changes us. The transformation that happens within a person. And that's what God desires for us. Jesus came to give us more than a new heart. He came to give us the new birth. And that's the goal of it all is a new birth. Nicodemus came to Jesus. And I know this very well because I played Nicodemus in a play one time. So I've got a little bit of perspective here. But he came by night, scared of what other people might think. His colleagues, if he were seen with Jesus, you know, he's supposed to be the guy that's criticizing him, stoning him perhaps. 
Now in the night, he's trying to hide and find Jesus. He finally gets to him. And he's kind of, I would imagine, sitting in the shadows, speaking to Jesus, who's in the light, you know. And he's saying, I don't really understand what it is you've been teaching about, but I'm interested in it. And he asks the question, you know, how does this take place? How does it happen? What has to take place? And Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He got to be born again, Nicodemus. And this is often the case, more questions arise once somebody gets an answer. And he's puzzled and he asks, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into somebody's womb? Now you understand this is a concept, being born again, that just got introduced into the world. People get it today. But then he's, he's hearing, you've got, to, uh, you've got to be born again. You know? He's trying to understand it. And Jesus spoke of spiritual things drawn from the understanding of the nature of the world. He said, except a man be born of two things, of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So to explain being born again further, don't miss this. He said the exact same thing he just said to Nicodemus, but he added one phrase. You want to understand it a little bit better? You got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. Amen. This just confirms how you got to have a new birth in your life. That's right. You got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Yes. You got to repent first. Be baptized in Jesus' name. And then of the Spirit, of the Holy Ghost, God will fill your life. And then you can enter into the kingdom of God. Amen. The new birth is not merely a suggestion. It's not just an idea or an optional alternative. There's not many ways to God. There is one, one, one way. That's right. To God. And it's mentioned in Scripture. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not a gray area or anything like that. It's very clear. These are written that ye might believe, John chapter 20 said, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. It's not enough to just believe. He could have stopped saying, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But He said that believing ye might have life through his name. They ask the question, have you received since you believed? Amen. Everybody believes. Everybody today believes in Jesus, but not all have received. But I thank God that one day I received. Yes. Amen. And the gospel message took its place in my life. Amen. I, I heard or I read of uh, G.A. Mangan's story of when he came to God recently. And his family, this was back early 1900s, None of them lived for God, but there's tent revivals that were happening all across the nation. And he was very skeptical as a young man. I don't want to go to that. You know, I've heard all these stories about what people do in those tents and just crazy, wacko people and don't want to be a part of that. So he was resistant. And uh, there came a day when they heard about this tent revival happening in town, a bunch of apostolics and people were getting healed. And people that they know, it wasn't sideshow things. They were hearing about people really, really getting healed. There wasn't no other explanation for it. And uh, he was still skeptical. 
as a teenager. We don't need to go to that. I don't want to be a part of that. Well, his sister got terminally ill, his young sister, and didn't know what was going on. And it comes to a point one day where they believe she actually just died in her house. And it was about an hour before this tent revival would start. And so they put her in the vehicle. And G.A. Main, his father, drove them down to the tent revival. None of these people served God. And they began to walk toward this tent. And he's got this seemingly lifeless body of the daughter in his arms. And G.A.'s saying, I can't believe we're doing this. This is humiliating that you're going to carry my sister into that place and make a spectacle of it. And they began to walk toward this tent. And the evangelist that was there stepped out of the tent. Service hadn't even come close to starting yet. But there's prayer going on. Stepped out of the tent toward them. And he told G.A. Mangan's dad, you can take that girl back to your vehicle. She's healed. And he, he was fighting mad. G.A. Mangan, he was fighting mad because this was even worse than he imagined, you know. He, and he actually said, he, he said, healed my foot. She ain't healed. The evangelist said, just take her back to your vehicle. And when they got back in the vehicle and the last door shut, that little girl raised up. That's right. And they committed in that moment, we don't have any excuse. We don't have any reason to go back and not serve God with all of our heart when He's done this in our midst. Amen. And he gave his life over to God. The whole family did. It was a story of a new birth experience that started with a healing. T.W. Barnes would tell a story about the revivals that would come through and people, you know, would just lose their mind at what was going on, get mad at what, what the people were doing, you know, people getting the Holy Ghost and things. And uh, they would actually have to sneak out of their house sometimes to be able to go to the tent revival because the family would be too mad at them to let them go and think about it. They'd sneak out and go. They'd go and get somebody's truck and they'd go in the night, you know. And uh, they'd go out there and he, he started going, T.W. Barnes, and got the Holy Ghost. And there was some other people in his family that did. His aunt went and got the Holy Ghost at a tent revival. And when she come back home and word had gotten out to her husband, her husband found out about it and he was standing in the doorway of the club when she got there. And he pointed the club at T.W. Barnes' aunt and said, you're never going to go back to one of those tents ever again as long as you're in my house. And she didn't say anything. She just walked into the house. She kind of nodded her head just to get him calmed down. He was fighting mad and he could have done anything. And a few hours later after she felt like he had calmed down, she began to pray. And the Holy Ghost began to come on her again. And she felt that same feeling she felt when she first got the Holy Ghost at that tent revival. And she walked in the boldness of the Holy Ghost into their living room and pointed in his face and said, I'm going. I'm going to keep going. And if you got a problem with it, I'll leave you. Not saying that that was the right thing for her to do, 
but she was not going to be robbed of this Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. She wasn't going to be robbed of it. And because of the actions of one family coming to God and letting me work on their heart and do something in their life, a whole family was one to God. The new birth took place in that family. And today, it may be 2019, but I'm preaching the same message to you in this church. I'm not changing it a bit. And I'm telling you, you've got to be born again. you got to repent. you got to go down in Jesus' name. you got to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. And nothing else is going to change your heart the way it needs to be. Amen. And if you already have been and you come into this house today and you feel a dryness in your spirit today, it's nothing else that's going to do the job. Amen. You don't need a new hobby. You don't need an energy drink. You don't need a new profession. You don't need a Snickers bar as good as those are. It's not going to do the trick. You need the Holy Ghost. Yes. Amen. There is nothing else that's going to do it. There's nothing else that's got the power. There's nothing else that can change the inside of your heart. Nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody can explain your way through your situation into heaven. But let me tell you something today. There is a very real Spirit of the Holy Ghost. It was the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And when He was up on the cross, it was released. And it's not me that's saying it today. It's the Scripture that said that the veil was torn. It was ripped down the middle into the presence of God that we can walk into today. Now if we preach and we teach the tabernacle plan for prayer. Now how many knows that we teach and preach that? We teach and preach that then we ought to hold true to the fact that since that veil has been torn, not a priest, not just a preacher, not just a prophet, but anybody that comes to God can walk in to the presence of a holy God. And He can fill their life. Amen. Amen. And if you've already got that, that's fine. But I'm telling you, you can operate in that. Yes, amen. Well, Hallelujah. You can operate in the Holy Ghost. Yes. You better not have dormant Holy Ghost in your life today. That's right. I'm going to tell you this, not because I'm trying to be rude, because I've got a responsibility. You ought to get filled up as much as you can today. Yes. And when you get filled up, don't just do it to be filled up, but say, God, use me in this church. If there's somebody that needs ministered to, you push me to lay hands on them or do something, pray for them, I'll do it. Amen. I'll be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's the gifts of the Spirit. I like what Pastor was talking about the other night. You get the gift of the Holy Ghost. You have to seek God for it. You got to seek God for spiritual gifts. That's right. Amen. So what that means is that cancels out. Well, I've seeked Him and got the Holy Ghost. My seeking's done with. Wrong. That's right. Amen. Your seeking's just gotten started. Yeah. I'm still seeking today. I'm seeking right now for a move of the Spirit to take place in our very midst and sweep us away. We don't have to have a structure to our service if it's not what God wants. That's right. Let me throw this out there. There's not a part of our service that is out of the way for God to move and touch and push out of the way for Him to move. 
If he wants to do something, we're going to let him do it. Because we're going to be active in the Holy Ghost. And folks, there's a stream of it that moves to a service. And the goal has to be, I'm going to find where the stream's taking us. Amen. What if, what if, just walk with me for a minute. I'm about done with these notes. Just walk with me for a minute. What if the stream of the Holy Ghost today was to, for us to stop this lesson before we have music and this kind of glory to sweep into this house and somebody get the Holy Ghost and somebody healed and somebody delivered and then somebody prophesied. What if that's the goal of God in the stream of the Spirit today? Are we going to let that happen? Or are we going to quench the Spirit? Hey, hey, this is the moving of God. This is the way He works. And there is a stream today. There is a stream. It's not changed. Amen. Amen. And we're not trying to make it something it's not. I'm going to let God do His work. Would you stand with me right now? The Holy Ghost is moving in this place even at this point. Amen. Jesus came to make all things new. All things new. All things new. Amen. And not leave anything old. Now, we read the Scripture, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus did not hear me today. He did not come to make things new so that they would then grow stale and old. He doesn't put the Holy Ghost in somebody so that then it will expire and become outdated and have to be drained out. What would have been the point in that? Why did He even do it in the first place? He makes new so that it can be refreshed and remain new. Now I'm going to tell you what I feel right now in this room is that the Holy Ghost has sweeped in here in order to renew some people and refresh you. And I can tell you this, I can tell you this, there's a moment that can pass and we won't receive what we need to receive from God. So we're not going to let this just sweep out of here real quick, okay? We're going to let God move right now. It's the Spirit moving in this house. Would you lift your hands right now? Come on, lift your hands. Lift